Hello, and welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and a software developer at Axonic, Sarah Tori. In this final portion of the state and future of Axonic presentation that was given by Allart and some of my other colleagues, he and the Axon Server core team talked about Axon Server's latest release and what they've planned on for next year, as well as our newest product, Axon Synapse. I hope you enjoy this final portion and let's have a listen. I would like to invite Mark, Sarah, and Milan on stage. Those are the core engineers that have worked very hard on the, well, I guess they know the byte array and the byte buffer and the map byte buffer better than anyone else, uh, at least in the company. Um, so I'd like to, uh, to give it to you and give us a bit of an update. So I hope you can hear me. Okay, so a little bit about Axon Server, this part. So what have been up, been up to in the last two years? So we've seen in 2021, we've seen version 4.5, sorry. And last year we've released, or this year we've released 4.6. We'll be talking about what is in there in a minute. And what's planned for next year is a new version, which is called 2023.0. So as Art was already mentioning, a new versioning scheme. So we have different version numbers. But it's not, not just 2023.0, it will also be .1 and .2. So no longer one release per year, but we'll plan to have three releases per year. Each, release, each year. A little more about that. So as I was already saying, uh, we're not no longer keeping the same version numbers for Axon Framework and Axon Server. Um, we see Axon Server more as a standalone product that can also be used without Axon Framework. Therefore, it makes sense to have a different version number, and it's altogether it's a different kind of beast. So we introduced these new version numbers. I already mentioned three releases per year. R roughly every four months, there will be a new release. The first two releases in the year are more focused on new features, introducing new features to the product. Some of these features may be introduced as, as um, uh, review features, so we can already get some feedback from you. And they may be behind feature toggles, and you can switch them on and off. And then the final release of the year will be a long-term support release. So that will be updated with security features or security fixes for a number of years to come. OK, back to Axon Server 4.5. Some time ago already, so I was thinking back, OK, what did we do in 4.5? First thing we introduced there was options to have external authentication and authorizations. So not just logging into the dashboard through the users that you find in actual server, but you can use Google users, or you can use LDAP or Active Directory to log into actual server dashboard. And if you use the LDAP or the Active Directory option, you can also use that for authorizations within the dashboard. We did some updates in the dashboard 
and you're now able to search snapshots and there's a nice blinking icon if you're if there's a new version available that you can see and we introduced plugins plugins a little bit more about those these are OCI bundles so basically there are jars that you can upload to actual server they run in a isolated environment so they don't influence the actual server code too much Um, inside the bundle, you can define a number of services, which are in interceptors in the message flows. So, so if you have a message going through Axel Server, there are some points that you can add your own code. And what's important to know in a multi-context environment is that you can start them and you can configure them on a per context level, so you can have them active for one context, but not for another context. You can have different configurations per context. And it's also interesting to know that you can start them or you can stop them without having to start actual server. A small example for that. So we have the command flow application sending a command through actual server to a command handler. And of course the response going back. And you can have interceptors when a command reaches actual server, and you can have the interceptor when the response goes back to the requester. So what can you do with that? Uh, some examples, it will not be the complete list. It's up to you, of course, what you want to do in that. But you can do some things like schema validation. If you have a command, does the request apply to the schema? Um, with tracing, uh, Stephen already talked about, talked about tracing options in framework. You can also put some trace points in the interceptors, and that will give you a more end-to-end -end view. And you could also use it for things like a fine-grained access control. So, with the requests that you get, you can also get the uh, context of the connected user or connected application. So you can say, "Hey, and this." Command is required is allowed for this user or not. Similarly, for events, when we publish events or when we read events, there are also interceptors that you, you can let you can have executing some code. Again, you can do some schema invest. Can, can do some. My screen's coming black. Okay, <laughs> sorry, little distraction here. So the, you can do some encryption there. Okay, uh, so you can do encryption there. You can encrypt messages. You can do compression if you have large events. For instance, you could do encryption there, compression there. And you can also do some kind of things like upcasting of events when you read them. Which is a nice cue for me to hand over to Sarah. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> so um, let's continue by um, introducing the new feature in Axon Server 4.6. So the main topic uh, in Axon Server 4.6 
are uh, the introduction of admin API. Uh, admin API are useful to support the maintenance of the configuration of the cluster and the maintenance of distributed event processors. Also, we um, improved the support for large messages and uh, we improved performance even more. And the graphical uh, uh, UI has been repainted. So let's uh, start uh, um, by uh, analyzing in a little more detail the more remarkable features. So, mm, the admin API. Let's start with the admin API. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. So, before version 4.6, uh, you could use three tools uh, to uh, configure your cluster. The Axon Server CLI, mainly useful when you need to configure with scripts, the cluster, the Axon Server dashboard when the user wants to change it manually, and the REST APIs. Now, starting with Axon Server 4.6, you have two additional methods that are the gRPC API, and you can configure it programmatically through Axon Server Java Connector. So, what can we do with these new APIs? First of all, you can use the admin API to handle the replication groups and the context. Uh, defined within them. Also, you can uh, handle the privileges, the access privileges, defining application and user and assigning them roles. Also, you can handle even processors, simplifying their maintenance, particularly if they are distributed. So, uh, indeed, the uh, one typical use case for the usage of admin API is uh, to reset uh, a distributed event processor. Uh, you can, in general, more general, use uh, admin API uh, in, uh, for all the operations uh, that require a temporary suspension of an event processor. Uh, for example, you can automate a release process requiring to pause an event processor for running a migration script. Um, another um, use case the admin API are particularly suitable for is multi-tenancy. You can use admin API to dynamically create context assigned to tenants. And also, you can use admin API to implement your own on-premise SaaS platform, supporting the dynamic creation of replication groups, context applications, and users. So let's see how uh, admin API can, for example, help us in uh, mm, to reset a distributed event processor. So let's mm, suppose that we have a, a component that declares a distributed event processor with six segments, and the component is distributed through three instances. Each instance claims some of the segments. And uh, when, at a certain point, we need to reset the uh, distributed event processor, what happened? Before Exxon Server 4.6, the instance responsible for performing their set uh, had to stop to pause the event processor, re releasing the token it claimed, and reset the tokens. Since the event processor in this case is distributed, this is not possible because we had the other token still claimed by the other instance of the same component. So with Axon Server 4.6 using admin API, it is now possible to ask Axon Server to pause the distributed event processor. Axon Server dispatches the request to, to all involved instances, causing all the token to be released 
And at this point, it is possible to reset the tokens and uh, uh, to uh, ask uh, Axon Server to restart all the instances through a new invocation of Admin API. Admin API can also support multi-tenant application. Let's assume we have an application that's able to serve multiple tenants, each of which is associated with a uh, specific context. So what we can do is to subscribe to all updates related to um, context in Axon Server. In this way, when any uh, user decides, for example, through Axon Server dashboard to create a new context for a new tenant, the component can react accordingly, for example, activating the services for the, this new tenant. But not only that, we can also write, uh, implement a back office component that is capable of uh, uh, creating dynamically this context uh, when, whenever it's needed. Let's change the subject now, moving to large uh, message support. So we have here two main changes. The first one uh, applies to large event transactions. So uh, when we have a particular large transactions, before Action Server 4.6, we have a 32K events per transaction limit. Now this limit has been removed. Also, Axon Server 4.6 simplifies the um, configuration for a large event transaction in terms of message sites. But this is the second change, the most interesting one. Steven already introduced it. So you already know that uh, Axon ecosystem uh, already supported three types of queries, direct query, the scatter gather query, and the subscription query. And uh, with Axon 4.6 framework and server, we introduced the streaming query. So the streaming query has been created to simplify uh, all the situation when a direct query does not return a single result, but a collection of results, potentially a very large collection. So using direct query, uh, it would be necessary to load in memory all the result sets on the producer side and to send it back to the requester through a single uh, message passing through Axon Server nodes. Now with using streaming query, um, it is if, of course, the result uh, consists of a collection of elements, uh, it will be possible to send uh, the elements one by one through a stream back to the requester. In this way, avoiding loading all uh, the result set in memory and uh, supporting the transmission of heavy messages. So streaming query um, implements back pressure mechanisms uh, through all the entire pipeline. And of course, to use a streaming query, not only Axon Server, but also both consumer and producer need to be updated to 4.6 version. So now that you have an insight about uh, 4.6, let me introduce you to Milan, my colleague, to talk about the future. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's see what we can do in zero minutes. <laughs> I guess this is what happens when you mix developers and estimates. So I'm just going quickly to walk you through uh, new features that we are introducing right now at this moment. We also have some of them in the preview. So we also heard during the keynote that people want to modify events and we got that asked a lot. So what we decided to do is to build a time machine. Well, I wish <laughs> we, we wanted to do that, but Alar said we don't have budget for that. So instead of that, 
<laughs> we decided to build an event transformation feature. So basically a feature that gives you a possibility to go back in time and modify your events, and you can also delete those events. So this is pretty pretty cool thing. I'm talking about events here, but in future we can also do snapshots as well. Not currently present, but it will be. This is a feature that you might think as on a SQL update, but it should not be used as a SQL update. It is something uh, that is really lengthy and really complex in the under the hood, and it should not be used that often. So let's see cases when to use it. One of the uh, very common uh, use case for it is security. You have some events laying out, laying out on a hard drive and you want to make them secure. They were in plain text. You would use uh, event transformation feature to uh, go and encrypt them. One of the subcases of this use case is to use it for a GDPR. Pretty simple, right? Uh, also, one of the really useful use cases is when you have a lot of upcasters and the maintenance of those upcasters became too expensive or they are just not too maintainable, so you want to replace them by basically changing the schema of your events. And the last thing is to compact your event store. There is an aggregate, you know that it will not be used uh, anytime soon or ever, so it is, as we say, archived. So we want to go and delete all events published by that aggregate and Action Server will also do a compaction of the event store for us. But there are also use cases when not to use it. The very first is to replace an upcaster. <laughs> so this is something that's a little bit uh, contradictory, right? So uh, whenever you, you want to change something, if it is really simple, write an upcaster. If it is a complex transformation, then use an event transformation. Also measure the time needed for those upcasters to run. Uh, do not use this feature to fix a bug, <laughs> write an upcaster. Uh, do not use this feature to avoid update events. So if I have, for example, order created event and now the quantity changed, do not uh, transform your order created event for this purpose, but write an update event and publish it. Be, I mean, use event sourcing uh, properly. So that was uh, all how uh, this feature, when, when to use it and when not. Let's now see how it works, but I'm really quickly going to go over it. So we here have some segments. We want to start a transformation. Uh, there are two types of actions. We can replace or delete an event. We are going to uh, basically fill transformation segments with these actions. So we're going to say, okay, I want to modify event zero, I want to delete event three. Once I'm done with my transformation, I might uh, start applying it. So an applying will basically uh, firstly shrink the current segment, will stop it, open a new one. So we can in parallel also uh, write append events to our event store and we can do a transformation. Uh, then we will just create a new version of our segments. Action Server will always use the latest version of the segment to read events. And then we are just going to combine original segment and the transformation action. So basically, event zero is modified, one and two are exactly the same, three has been removed, etc., etc. Voila, your transformation is here, you transformed your event store. Now, let's move to one other feature that you are also having in somewhat preview phase. Uh, that is uh, tiering the storage. Here we have one Axon server node. It has two tiers. Tier one is put usually on fast SSD drives. Tier two is 
maybe in the cloud, maybe on some slow hard drives. And then when we want to append events to our event store, we are firstly going to append them to tier one. And then due to time limits or size limits, we might decide to move events from one tier to the other, saving basically costs. Now we need to combine those tiers in order to have the, the, the complete picture of the stream. Uh, and we can also just continue adding events to tier one. Right? The rationale behind this is that probably we are going to use the most recent data and we are probably going to access the tier one much frequently than uh, tier two. And the very last thing, I promise, <laughs> is the event retention. So there are contexts such as integration context, for example, in which you want to have a time limit for your events. You want your events to disappear because you have no purpose of it. it they are not used for event sourcing, but mostly for synchronization between several contexts. And this is what this feature is for. And with this, I'm done. How much time do we have left now? Terribly, sir, this is a very complex play to get different people to get their say on a, on a stage without breaks in between. There's one more thing that I would like to talk about. And that I mentioned it earlier, uh, Axon uh, has been focusing on the JVM for quite a while. And we wanted to break out of that space because our friend here <laughs> spent... He, give him a reason to spend 23 hours in a plane, anyway. So what we've been working on and where we are still working on is uh, we, we've created a connector for, for pure Java uh, so that uh, even if you're not using the framework, you can still uh, use, use Axon Server. Um, but, and we're working on a .NET connector, right? And then the Python and PHP and all those are, are next uh, somewhere down the line. So that approach would help us to basically give an OK to all sorts of Java-based frameworks. It would, in time, make it possible to also serve other platforms which are non-JVM. But then we, uh, we realize that Lambdas and Google Cloud Functions and all those beautiful you know, scale-to-zero type of uh, components, we have a bit of a problem there. There's nothing we can do to make them suddenly become alive simply by the presence of an event somewhere else. Right? So we have this bit of a tricky situation. And besides that, messaging is very challenging. Messaging is annoying, but we have to deal with it. It's complex. And we, we really like to have a, a framework or a means in place to take much of that complexity away from you, as much as we can, right? because we love that complexity and we have the people that want to focus on that. So we wondered, OK, how does nature solve this type of messaging problem? Right? How does nature do messaging at scale? And we found a little thing in our body called an axon. And the little thing called axon in our body transports messages and is really good at messaging. And it knows about different types of messages. So, so good so far. And it has a terminal. Well, the concept of a terminal is kind of, well, we've, we've done that in the past. But there's a thing called a neurotransmitter and there's a synaptic vesicle, whatever that is. There's a synapse. And we thought, that's what we need. We just need to build what nature has built for us and just put that into a computer. That's why we have Axon Synapse. And I, I realize that there's a lot of people from Germany here, and, and this is, in German, is pronounced Zunaps, which 
very much sounds like schnapps, which is not what we mean. <laughs> we'll have those later in the evening, right? For now, we'll have to deal with this. So how does this work? Well, actually, Axon Synapse sits between Axon Server and anything you would have on the right, including Cloud Functions or Skill to Zero applications any, in any way. And it will speak the gRPC language, that the, which is a very well-performing kind of API towards, towards Axon Server. And it will just communicate in HTTP for now to, to all of the clients. And as you can see, most of the arrows are to the right, but there are some that go to the left. That's done on purpose. Because you can send commands by just calling an HTTP endpoint on that synapse. But if there is a subscription and you want to have something invoked, you can invoke it to the right. And what Axon Synapse will take care of is quite a bit of things. First of all, obviously, the protocol translation, right? gRPC doesn't always fit on HTTP, one. Um, it will take care of concurrency control. So all the features and the benefits you have with Axon, where you can concurrently process certain events, but then sequentially process others, that will be part of that as well. It will make sure that there is only one concurrent HTTP call ongoing for things that need to be executed sequentially. It will take care of flow control. It, can, it will take care of batching, et cetera, et cetera. So the way it works is basically you start off with a registration. You just register an endpoint and say, hey, I've got this endpoint, and it's interested in these particular commands. Um, and, and you have an endpoint type, which is, uh, which is important. We'll, we'll support different sub-protocols, if you will, uh, raw being one. Um, and what you can then do is you can post a, a command to Axon Synapse, and this could be your own command. In this case, it's a wrapped uh, message. You say, oh, this is the name, and there's some properties, and there's the, the, the actual payload. And Axon Synapse, through Axon Server, will route that, and it will actually invoke your service and as you indicated raw, it will just use the payload as the body of the message. So there's no axon fluff. Sorry to say that. It hurts. Um, but there's no axon fluff that you have to deal with. And if you want to deal with it, you can have a look at the headers. There are specific headers that, we, that will carry the metadata of the messages. In this case, it's a command. If it's an event, you'll have the timestamp in the, in the headers. And this makes it much easier to link any kind of platform, whether it's an Axon framework, if it's Java, if it's .NET, PHP, Cloud Functions, Lambdas, whatever, you can have all the messaging benefits in any environment. So the future, well, we talked quite a bit about the future, but yeah, the future is event-driven, right? I had to link back to that. Event-driven is hard, though, but it's also very powerful. It's very valuable, and I think it's an enabler. Right? It enables a lot of business capabilities for a lot of enterprises. But becoming event-driven is a process, not an easy process. And we want to be the ones there for you as you embark on that process. In any way we can assist, that is where we want to be in the future. Thank you. I hope you liked this presentation. Please join me next time for other amazing topics with wonderful guests. Until then, have a great time and happy coding.